On today's episode of Out of Office Bros, Russell Wilson gets benched by the Denver Broncos. We've got a, a coordinator change going on for CU and two weeks left. This is Out of Office Bros. Let's hit it. Welcome, 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 everybody, to a special Sunday edition of Out of Office Bros. It is your boy, D-Train, along with my co-host, Mr. Scotty L. How are we doing today, pal? Well, D-Train, judging by the fact that I am back in the same studio I have been in, I did not take Vegas. Vegas took me. (laughs) We're here. We're thriving. We got a Broncos game coming up today, and we got big news out of Boulder, so let's get into it. Absolutely, man. Well, let's start with the, I think that what was the biggest news or the most uh, surprising news of the week is that on Tuesday, the Denver Broncos did announce that Russell Wilson was going to be benched in place of, um, or, and then, and then replaced by Jarrett Stidham uh, for the week 17 game against the Los Angeles chargers. Uh, Some interesting news has come out for this matchup uh, and, and because of this benching where According to the NFLPA, the Denver Broncos have violated their collective bargaining agreement rules by benching Russell Wilson. Um, according to the Washington Post, NFLPA attorney um, or an NFLPA attorney sent the Denver Broncos a letter, and this was over a month and a half ago. This was on November fourth, citing that the um, regarding the team telling Wilson that they would bench him if he didn't push his thirty-seven million dollar guarantee into two thousand and twenty-five was a violation of the collective bargaining agreement. Yeah, um, this is this is about to get really, really messy. Yeah, and you know, I, I would like to just take a slight bow here of my tinfoil hat conspiracy. <laughs> Apparently, having some sort of leg here. Clearly, Sean Payton and the Broncos organization under his stewardship don't want Russ to be the guy. For one reason or another. Yeah. And by violating the NFLPA, that's where this is going to get really messy. And, you know, I think that there are two sides of this, right? I think it, obviously it's a bad marriage and it, it wasn't, it wasn't destined to work and that's fine. These things happen in the NFL. Mm-hmm. The other part about this is, is, you know, for Russ to come out and play like he's played, since that conversation took place, I, I got to give the guy some respect. Like, mm-hmm. basically, you're, you you know your employer doesn't want you there, and you went out and continued to be the leader of that team, mm-hmm. at least on offense. And, you know, I, I got to give him some respect, and he played, he played solid ball for most of the season. Not great, not, not terrible, just solid. I mean, it wasn't what we were expecting or hoping for. Um. But it's, it's evident that now we are heading for a divorce between Russ and the Broncos. But goddamn, I, I hate the fact that we're starting Jared Stidham this week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do, it's, it's not going to be an improvement on the offensive side of the ball. I would say that Jarrett Stidham and Russ play a very similar style of quarterback. Um you know, kind of reading into it a little bit, a lot of the a lot of the pundits are excited for this because they think that Jarrett Stidham may attack a, a different area of the field than what Russ normally does, which leads me to believe that it's going to be a lot less deep threats and a lot more um, middle of the field kind or a lot less deep balls and a lot more middle of the field type of throws, which involves the tight end involves these slot receivers. Um, so I think that, I think that potentially we could have a decent day out of the offense. It's just going to be different than what we've seen in the previous 15 games. Yeah. It, it's going to look very different. And I mean, even just looking at the injury report, you know, Mims is questionable, likely, I think likely not going to play was the mm-hmm. last update I saw. Same with Jared mm-hmm. Judy. Um, so what, that leaves little Jordan Humphrey is probably our number one guy because mm-hmm. Cortland's out with a conky. So not great, Bob. <laughs> but that it's, it's also just that time of year where it's next man up. 
everybody's injured. Every team, every team is kind of limping to the finish here. We we've been lucky so far. Uh, I think that we, I would say that we're one of the more healthier teams out there uh, leading into this week. And so it, it it's going to be the next man up. Um, the interesting part about this is that the, is that the Broncos really don't seem to care the, the, in the, uh, in the note that the NFLPA attorney sent the Denver Broncos, the, he, they cited that they are particularly concerned that the Broncos still intend to commit these violations under the guise of coaching decisions. So it, it is interesting, but what what we have to go what we have to go to is what the guarantee says. So in essence, just to kind of do a summary of all of this, is that Russell Wilson would make an additional thirty seven million dollars in guaranteed money if he can't pass a physical by early March. So by by benching him in these final two games, it protects the Broncos against him suffering an injury that would trigger that thirty seven million dollar guarantee. Um, it's interesting. It's very interesting because the Broncos are statistically and technically not eliminated from the playoffs. There is still a chance that they can make it. And obviously we have to see how these 11 AM games go before we end up kicking off our game. But this has got to be, this has got to be the end that this is a signal that Russ has done in Denver. I mean, yeah, there, there's no way you can bring him back next year, right? right? Like, right. That that's kind of just where we're at. Is I, I don't, I don't fully get it, right? Like, we we are still in playoff contention, technically speaking. Mm-hmm. This game has implications that are far more are far reaching for the future of this organization. And we're phoning it in. And granted, yeah. the, the, Charger, the Chargers are terrible. Herbert's out. Um, so it, it's not the same Chargers that we were expecting to be playing. But still, I, I like our I like our odds to win this game a little bit better with Russ under center than Jared Siddham. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, the, and so does, so does Vegas because the odds definitely changed for this game. Um, when, when the news got announced, I think the Broncos initially had kicked off the week as a five and a half point favorite. And then when Russ got benched, it's flipped and now it's only a three and a half point advantage for the Broncos. And I, right. I think it's only because we're at home. I, I would think that if we were in Los Angeles, that it could be maybe like a one and a half maybe even favoring the chargers not 100% sure um but but looking looking at this the uh, all the pundits are still saying that the broncos are going to come out with a victory yeah i mean it, it's the old nfl aspect of when a team is a home team it's about a three point advantage yeah so what that signals to me is vegas thinks that this is very even now with jared Stidham under center and I mean, my God, the over/under is pathetic at thirty-seven and a half for an NFL yeah. football game. But yeah. here we are. Yeah. And it, it is what it is. But as we look ahead to next to what the future holds, you know, if let, let's let's look at Russ's contract, right? Because when when we inevitably break up with Russ, there is a dead cap hit of right around thirty-seven and a half million. That, that mm-hmm. same cap it is still going to be there. It's just, is it dead cap or is it through the injured? So if we want to eat the entire Russell Wilson dead cap hit this offseason, because we can break it up into a couple of different years, we could do it over two years where it minimizes the dead cap over the two. I, I don't know what the team's going to want to do, but let's just say they want to do it this year. Um and want to just eat it. You would basically have to end up either cutting or trading some major pieces, which would include Garrett Bowles, Justin Simmons, Tim Patrick, DJ Jones, Jerry Judy, Ben Powers, Samaj P. Ryan, and Cortland Sutton. So that's eight guys right there that are big contributors that you would either have to cut or trade to be able to absorb this kind of hit. Not only that, you would have to ask Zach Allen to restructure his deal 
where you're pushing, you're essentially deferring $9 million of his contract to a future. To, the, to later years. Yep. And you're also going to have to do that with Mike McGlinchey and push 10 million of his to the future too. So what that would give you is about right around 30.5 million in cap space. And here's the other problem with that is you'd have about 35 players on the roster. <laughs> that I mean, you could round out a roster with 30.5. It's not going to be a good roster. I'll tell you that right now. Right. And then you also have to factor in the Josie Jewell, Lloyd Cushenberry, PJ Locke, and Adam Troutman, who are all starters, are heading into their free agency. It's not good. No, I mean, this... We look at the future, and that's that's kind of why I'm I'm not happy with how all of this has gone down. Mm-hmm. Like, and it and it's become very public, where it's going to be a nightmare because now you have people that are like us that are just fans doing these deep dives. You also have legitimate journalists doing these deep vi- dives into what this is going to mean, and this means, in my eyes, that we are heading towards a very down era potentially a Bronco football. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously a lot can happen. A lot can change that tune, but I think it would have been better if the Broncos had found a trade partner for Russ, absorbed some of the cap hit and just moved him. Yeah. yeah. Versus this messy ass divorce that we're going to get into. And the NFLPA can sue them. I mean, it, they're violating a collective bargaining agreement, which raises a whole nother host of issues. So what this is going to create is just a long-term distraction that was not needed for an organization that was kind of that upper middle of the NFL. Right. At this point. Right. Um, an interesting part about this is 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 there a trade partner out there for russell wilson the old there's there's potentially two teams i think that maybe buyers this offseason in terms of a quarterback and unfortunately for the broncos two of those teams the both of those teams that i think could be are in the afc um which means that I don't think that they're going to help the Broncos out in any way when it comes to the the contract and the negotiation of that. Um, the two teams that come to mind for me are the New England Patriots and the Tennessee Titans. I would also throw the Las Vegas Raiders in there potentially because I, don't, mm-hmm. I think they're done with Jimmy G. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would throw that potentially in there, but... Yeah, and you look when you look at the Patriots in particular, like they're going to have a high draft pick. They're going to have the potential to go get their quarterback of the future and do it on the cheap versus, you know, having to pay Russ. Right. So I, I think that one's off the table. I mean, I, I just – Chicago was on his list. So maybe there's something there with who knows what they want to do with fields. Do they want to – continue to develop fields but he hasn't really necessarily earned a big paycheck so they could feasibly foot rust once again they're pretty high in the draft um you know maybe indy the colts that could that could be a partner yeah yeah but i i think a lot of this a it also took away the broncos negotiating power with this all becoming public yeah you can't you 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 can't go to a team because now they have all the leverage where it's mm-hmm. going to be like, well, you can either cut him or deal with this. Like, this removed a lot of our leverage. I think that this coming out, it had to have gotten leaked from Russ's camp or the NFLPA. It had to have. But I think Sean Payton kind of put us behind the eight ball here. If we, w- if you know, the end goal was to move on from Russ, then we should have handled this in a totally different way, in my yeah. eyes. Yeah. 
I also, I didn't love how Sean Payton addressed the media when it came to this. Um, he, he came out and basically said, listen, I'm handling football. And that's something that George and the front office handle talking about George Payton, the general manager. I'm not involved in any of that. Certainly I'm involved in a lot, but there, there will be a time and place at the end of the season where some of the questions you might have, someone else will be able to answer. My focus has been on winning. Like, dude, you're the captain of this ship. You are the head coach. You're involved in these decisions. Yes. Take some take some ownership here. I, I think that he just didn't want to answer anything and get in trouble with the NFLPA. So he's deferring to the front office to to be the ones that make that decision. Yeah. I mean, it's the classic that's above my pay grade kind of answer, right? Right. Right. Like, it, it wasn't it wasn't the right answer. It wasn't a good answer. And if you're focused on winning, if you're going to sit here and tell us that you're focused on winning, your best chance of winning is starting Russ over Jared Stidham. That, mm-hmm. that is a fact. Jared Stidham has been a career backup in this league for a reason. Like mm-hmm. this isn't, this isn't like you were at, you know, Alex Smith and Patrick Holmes where you were stashing one or Alex Smith and Collis and Colin Kaepernick. Alex Smith has been involved in a lot of these, but <laughs> this isn't one of those situations, right? Like, you know, we're not the New York giants where we have two very middling options at quarterback with Terod Taylor and, you know, Danny dimes. Like we, we really don't have a second option. Yeah, we don't. And I, I don't understand how you can sit there and say, Oh yeah, it's about winning. When in reality, this is not a move that gets you a win. No, no, it doesn't immediately make you better. Right. And, you know, they could still win this game, as we've said, but yeah, it it definitely isn't an upgrade at the position. And the fact the fact that it's all boiling down to these injury guarantees and and all of that, like Russ is smart. Russ, Russ has always been a very good negotiator when it comes to his contracts and putting himself in a position for success. And he's been in the league for 12 years. These injury guarantees, as you get older, become ever more prevalent. Yeah. And important because you know, you're going to, you're going to get beat down in this league. Yeah. going to. So yeah, it's a mess. I, I don't love where we're heading. Um, with this, it's going to be an interesting offseason. I think it's going to be filled with turmoil. And I think we are going to have an entirely new look next year, mm-hmm. which isn't a bad thing. I mean, like I've said, I, I don't think Jerry Judy should be on this roster next year. I, honestly, I was never a big fan of Garrett Bowles, and I specifically wasn't a fan of that of the contract we gave him right. after one good year. He's like, been fine. Um, He's been good this year, though, too. I, I've, I've, the fact that I'm not yelling and screaming at Garrett Bowles means he's played better. (laughs) Yes, but he's not living up to the contract in my opinion. Right. No, for sure. Um, So, you know, it's fine that we're going to, we're going to have to move on. I I don't love that, you know, Lloyd Cushenberry could walk. Um, He's a solid center in this league. I, I don't love that we would have to go ask, you know, some big guys who restructure deals. It happens, but you know, that happens more with a team that's right on the precipice of a Super Bowl, not a team that's on the precipice of, you know, being a bottom feeder in their division. Right. So it's, it's just not going to be, it it will be interesting, but it's not going to be fun. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be, you know, back when you and I were younger and we entered the off season with Peyton Manning as our quarterback, and it's like, oh, are we going to get DeMarcus Ware? Who are we getting this year? We get, we're getting Wes Welker. You know, we're getting these guys that are willing to come here on the cheap or guys that are willing to restructure their deal because we're just right there for a Super Bowl versus where we're at now, which we're, we're entering a rebuild, not a retool, yeah. a rebuild. So that, that's where we're at. But uh, do you have a feeling on today's game? Uh, yeah, one one last thing on this salary yeah. cap and and all that negotiation. I mean, we we've seen Sean Payton led teams be in this position before and come back and done some salary cap gymnastics is what I like to call it, where it's either like kicking the can down the road a little bit, pushing pushing people's uh, guarantees into later years and 
they've still had success. They've still been able to bring their guys back there. There's a way to figure this all out. It's just going to hurt for a long period of time, but you can stretch it out instead, instead of taking one year to absolutely stink, you could elongate that. Yeah. And I mean, we have circumvented the cap here in Denver before. I mean, we were paying Elway long after his playing days, long after, but, and before he was a GM, he was still getting paychecks from the Denver Broncos. So we've seen it. It'll be interesting. I'm, I, I just, like I said, I don't, I don't love how public this has all become and I don't love the way it's been handled from an organizational standpoint and you know, it's going to get messy and I could see Russ getting messy with it. I could see both of them getting messy. So it's yeah. not going to be fun. It's not yeah. going to be fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so moving on to this game against the Los Angeles Chargers, um, I do have a feeling about this one. I I think that Jarrett Stidham has a leg up on Easton Stick. I think that he's had more playing time um, in this league and though he hasn't played this season and Easton stick has played a couple of games. I think that that veteran type of play does win out in this one. Um, and I see us winning. I, I think the over hits, I I'm thinking like a 26 to 20, something like that is, is kind of where my head is that it's going to be a lot of field goals. <laughs> I, I do not love this over. And that says a lot for me because I'm a guy that, hates betting the under right um i i think this is an under kind of game just with you know it's it's not herbert and russ it's stick and still yeah that, <laughs> that doesn't inspire confidence for an over um also just looking at the broncos receiving core like we're going to lean heavily on the run if, if we yeah. don't if we don't lean heavily on the run this game we lose this game period yeah, there, yeah. there's no no feasible world where you say we're going to ride Jared Stidham, Jared Stidham's right arm, and get a win. That, that there is no world that this happens. So you know, sometimes though, putting putting a different piece in the offense invigorates the rest of the offense yes. because it's just something different. It's out of the norm. It's a different voice in that huddle that they that the rest of the offense might be up a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, I I think the Broncos do win this game. Um, the Chargers are just in disarray. It's going to be a close game. Um, I could see it being like a two-point victory, to be honest, or a one-point victory um, yeah. where we don't cover, but I'll take us to cover. And I, I think it's going to be a low-scoring affair. I think it's going to be a lot of us running the ball, trying to dictate our game on the run, mm-hmm. um, which naturally lends itself to a lower-scoring game. Sure, so, yeah, makes the game go Broncos, fast. Yeah, Broncos dub with the under hitting. Um, that's that's going to be my final answer here. And my God, it's this is just going to be an abysmal offensive football game for both teams. But defenses are theoretically going to be pretty solid on both sides. So yeah, theoretically that'll be interesting <laughs> for sure. Um, right on. Well, let's move on to our other team because there was a bit of a shakeup. Uh, that came out in the news on Saturday where uh, defensive coordinator Charles Kelly for our CU Buffaloes is expected to lead the buffs for a job on the defensive staff at Auburn. Um, Doesn't even seem like he's going to be the full coordinator over there. It seems like he may be splitting coordinator duties um, with, uh, with incumbent coordinator Ron Roberts over there at Auburn. So he could be like a co-defensive coordinator sort of thing. Um, this, this move was strictly a, uh, allegiance type of move because Charles Kelly did play football at Auburn in the eighties from 1986 to 1989. Yeah. Charles, Charles Kelly, um, leaving that, I don't think that was ever in the, in the plans for this off season. You know, we we had talked about it months ago when it was like Sean Lewis is going to move on. We we knew that we saw that the writing was on the wall there. Um, I think Kelly's a little bit more of a surprise to just a certain extent, but then when you kind of match the job, where okay, he's going back to his alma mater, that plays a role. He's from Alabama, the state that plays a role. He's only ever coached in the South, 
Mm-hmm. That plays a role. Like we were the furthest west he's been, so I think there may be able to be some lifestyle stuff. You know that that gets in the way too. Yeah, like I I lived in the Bay Area for a year, and the lifestyle out there just didn't suit me, and that was a big drawing force of me coming back to Colorado. Right. So, you know, those things are understandable. Um, I think what this, you know, there are two ways to look at this, right? There's the positive of okay, good for Kelly. Like he gets to go back home. That's, that's awesome. Also our defense did rank 121st out of 130 FPS program. Um, only three FPS programs gave up uh, more yards per game than we did this year. And that was Vanderbilt doormat of the sec <laughs> Stanford, which not great and North Texas. So it's not like we're losing an all-world defensive coordinator in this great scheme, but continuity is important. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's where it's like, oh, I, I would have really liked this. Plus, he, Charles Kelly is a damn good recruiter. You're, you're going to lose some on that side. But I know you have a ton of stats that you wanted to get into about why this is good for the buffs that Charles Kelly has moved on. So let's 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 rip, D-Train. Yeah, I Ethan sent us the article yesterday when the news hit. I mean, obviously I saw it, but then the three of us kind of got into a little conversation about it a little bit. And the guy, you're a lot of it that I'm kind of gaining is from the Coach Prime documentary on Amazon Prime. Like a lot of the things that he is saying, a lot of the things that he does, it just seems like he never like the defense never really improved if that makes any sense like scoring wise it may have looked like it did throughout the season but there were there were certain moments where it just there was nothing that he could do or anything that he could call to stop these offenses um week 3 against Colorado State we knew that those slants were the only thing that they could accomplish and the only thing that they were that they were doing to us there was not a single adjustment made to stop those crossing routes that is the defensive coordinator's job is to make it so that with what the other what the offense on the other side of the ball or the other team is being successful with is to stop them from doing so yeah it it there was it, it was such a weird thing this year with our defense right and to Kelly's defense, to play a little devil's advocate here, he did walk into literally the worst defense in college football. Obviously, sure. tons of different personnel came in, and it is a little bit harder to get a defense to gel versus an offense, at least early on in the year. So I was willing to give a little bit of a pass for you know the TCU game and for the Colorado State, although, my God, it's not that hard to defend a slant. Like, we, we knew it was coming. Like you said, it was slant, slant, and then run their tight end down the seam. It was right. a very basic game plan, and we just couldn't stop it, which was frustrating. I, I felt at times we had improved. I think our red zone defense was actually pretty solid most of the year. Um, the red zone was not the issue. It was more so the explosive plays and the fact that we would give up these big chunk yardage plays that when we really needed a stop. On the other hand, we did create 20 takeaways on defense this year. I don't know, once again, if that's personnel, if that's scheme. You know, it's it's a lot different when you have an all-world player like Travis Hunter back there or someone like a Trevor Woods who's a really solid coverage safety or Cameron Sullivan Craig who is apparently a damn ball hawk or Shiloh Sanders that comes down and lays the boom and was able to force some fumbles. You know, there, there's probably a strong mixture of the personnel and the scheme there. Yeah. That being said, if we get, if we make a really quality hire here and we're going to get into our favorite candidates or favorite people that we think could, could potentially be sliding into this role, um, you know, if we get that kind of hire right along with like a competent play caller on offense, because we are still, I, I don't think it's been made official yet that Shermer's our OC, so that could be out in the wind too, you know. With two very competent coordinators, th- this team is going to be a nine-win team next year. Like it, it just, it just will. Yeah. So, 
I mean, know, here's the thing. Here's the it, it. You can't get worse. Thirty four point eight points per contest last season. If you give up thirty, you're better than Charles Kelly did. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think, and I don't think that's asking a lot. I don't, I don't think that have, having a collegiate defense go out there and let up more than thirty points is that crazy of a thing to yeah. do. So no, I mean, it's really not. But when's the last time we had that in Boulder? Was it when Jim Levitt was running our defense? Uh, yeah, I suppose so. So it, apparently, it is a pretty big ask. I I don't know why, but it is. It's like asking the Broncos' offense to score more than twenty-one points a game. Right. Um, <laughs> should should be pretty simple. You think that's a reasonable number, but apparently it's not. Um, yeah, I, I think we can. I think we can improve. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think we need. You know, there are Buff fans on both ends of the spectrum right now. Of this is this is great. Like we're gonna go get a better DC, and then there are Buff fans like the sky is falling. Like mm-hmm. why why do we not have a coordinator for either side of the ball right now? And I think the where we all need to be is more in the middle of let's wait and see what happens. Yeah. Like we could yes we could go hire a big upgrade at the defensive coordinator position and the offensive coordinator position. We could also bungle those hires. It's the way of the world. Like this is just how things go. It doesn't matter the industry you're in. It it's how things go. Mm-hmm. So we gotta wait and see what happens, and we have to trust Prime now. Supposedly, this move has been in the way- making for quite a while. And also, let's not forget, Kelly had interviewed for Auburn's DC job last off season before he came to Colorado. He was a finalist for that job. So this shouldn't take a ton of people by surprise. I think what kind of took me by surprise of it was the fact that all year we saw Coach Prime very supportive of Charles Kelly, very Mm -hmm. supportive of Charles Kelly. And I think that's where I kind of got like, a, whoa, this is kind of out of left field, but doesn't seem like it caught Coach Prime off off guard. And it sounds like we're already going to be announcing a DC next week. Right. Now, who that name is, no one really knows. There are a couple people in the know. I, I've got my favorites that I would love to see come in, but who knows? We'll, yeah. we'll see. Yeah. But who let's, do you like? Let's, you yeah, let's, friend, who would you hire? let's get into that a little bit. Yeah. So there, there are already some names that are kind of floating around out there uh, for this yeah. defensive coordinator job. The biggest name among them uh, for me is Mike Zimmer, cur- or a former NFL head coach, had a lot, a lot of great success uh, in the NFL. Um, obviously we know coach prime has a lot of connections, knows a lot of people. I don't think that it is out of the ordinary for him to, to reach into that circle, um, and and bring in a big name like that because it could help with recruiting. Um, because that's something that we may be missing for, for Charles Kelly's defense here is, is that he was a big time recruiter. Um, you know, we mixed, you know, obviously we've talked about bringing in a top 25 overall class of a mixture between recruits and transfers. Uh, and, you know, a lot of that was on the defensive side of the ball, particularly on the transfer side. And is it that these kids wanted to play for Charles Kelly or is it that they wanted to play for Deion Sanders? Yeah, I personally think that it's I personally think it's because they want to play for Deion Sanders. Yeah, I, I think that's the case, too. Um, I know that we did get a little tidbit of information here in terms of like it's it, it's got an NFL kind of feel to it. Mike Zimmer obviously is NFL. Yeah, I mean, you look at his coaching resume. He did start in college. He was the defensive assistant at Missouri from 79 to 80. He coached then at Weber State from 81 to 88. Um, in a Thank you for saying Weber. Goals. You got Weber that State. correct. Uh, yep. Yes. Not Weber State. Come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, after his stint at Weber State, he was the defensive coordinator for the Wazoo Cougars from 89 to 93. Now, that's when he made the jump to the NFL. He started mm-hmm. with the Dallas Cowboys. He was with them from 94 to 2006. That's a really long stint, um, including a stint as the defensive coordinator from 2000 to 2006. 
Then he went over to Atlanta. He was the Falcons defensive coordinator in 07. Obviously then went to the Cincinnati Bengals. I think that's when we really started hearing Mike Zimmer name, Mike Zimmer's name pretty frequently. Um, he was their DC for five years from 2008 to 2013 and then became the Minnesota Vikings head coach in 2014 and uh, obviously being fired later on in 2021. Um, it does worry me that he's been out of the college game for so long because there is just such a strong difference between college football and the NFL. Sure. And you add in the recruiting aspect. I think where this does help in terms of recruiting wouldn't necessarily be on the high school side of it. You That's where you are going to see a bump with transfers because those are guys that maybe are just looking for one last shot to prove themselves before they're getting to, into the NFL. They want more eyeballs on them. A good example on the offensive side of someone we got doing that is Will Shepard. Mm-hmm. Dude had unbelievable stats at Vanderbilt, but was kind of an unknown. And now he's coming to Colorado to prove himself. He's playing with a much better quarterback, but he's also going to have the most possible eyeballs on him all year. So I think this could help on the transfer side of things. Also, it would be really interesting to make that reuniting of Pat Shermer with Mike Zimmer um, uh, at both coordinator spots because they were together on the Vikings staff um, during that run. So that would be a really interesting thing. I, I know that Zimmer has been around Coach Prime. He was an analyst for Jackson State and a consultant. Well, and then, yeah, and then but the bond goes back even further than that. So you had mentioned Zimmer's yeah. time with the Cowboys. He was Prime's position coach in yeah, the nineties for Dallas. In, yeah, ninety-five to ninety-nine. Yeah. So I think a lot of it adds up, and you know, if Zimmer has kept up with the trends and the changes in the trends in college football. Th- this could be a very good hire. It mm-hmm. could. I also worry because one criticism of Charles Kelly's defense was that it was very complicated. And that's fine when you're at Alabama and you have NFL players up and down the roster and up and down two, two, three deep versus Colorado, where we're still building that kind of depth. We're still building those kind of quality of starters. And an NFL defense is always going to be much more complicated than an NCAA defense. So can Zimmer adjust that and make sure that it is simplified enough that our guys can pick it up and, yeah. and run it efficiently and effectively. That, yeah. That's my one concern with Mike Zimmer. Who, uh, I mean, he's probably my favorite to land the job just because of the, uh, the relationship that he does have with Prime. But a name that you and I were texting about yesterday uh, is uh, a, a person I've actually met in person and and had an actual conversation with uh with his playing when he was playing for the colorado buffaloes and that is uh chidera uzo deribe yeah this one was a uh, one that i threw out in our group chat with ethan um i i would love this hire i don't know if he's ready quite yet but a little background on chidera he obviously played at the university of colorado he was a big defensive lineman for us um for a lot of down years the he, he was kind of a, a standout on our defense. He was never great as a player, but he was he was a very good defensive player. And after graduating, he decided to, become a, to take his hand at coaching. I don't think he really had much of a shot in the NFL. He, um, I'm pretty sure he was on the practice squad for the New Orleans Saints for a little bit there. Yeah, he may have had a cup of coffee in an NFL organization, but... He didn't really have much, um, but obviously he had, he spent time with SMU on that staff. Um, He then followed head coach Sonny Dykes over to TCU before getting offered a position with the Georgia Bulldogs to coach their defensive line. Mm -hmm. This dude has risen through the coaching ranks very quick. He also worked at Kansas where he brought in some big recruits um, during his time there. And he did start his coaching career with us here in Colorado as a, you know, as a graduate assistant with the defensive line and outside backers, he coached outside linebacker Jimmy Gilbert, who was our last edge rusher All-American. Um, he was a third-team All-American in that year that Chidera worked with him. So he's got some chops, and he's a really fast-rising star. So if he's ready, he is someone I would love to see us make a call to and say, hey, come be our D.C., yeah. He recruits like a monster because, I mean, obviously he's at Georgia, so he's getting some top-end talent that's going to be interested anyway. But 
he's winning these recruiting battles against the likes of, you know, Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, Michigan. Like, he's been in those, and that's the recruiting battles that we are stepping into, that we're inserting our names into. Mm-hmm. So he's proven he can go win those. And if he's able to build a defensive scheme, I think he would be a phenomenal hire. Yeah, Kentucky. and and a young hire that may that could relate to the players a little bit more. I mean, he's he's my age. He's 31 years old. So you have you have somebody that is, you know, not necessarily a peer, but is a lot closer and could be more relatable to the kids as a coordinator versus 67-year-old Mike Zimmer. Correct. Although, have you seen Mike Zimmer's a girlfriend, partner, don't know what you want to call her? No, I have not. Uh, dude's clearly got some recruiting chops. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she, she's a legitimate supermodel, and Mike Zimmer is far from that. So he, he might be all right on the recruiting trail. But I, I would have a lot more comfort with Chidera from a recruiting perspective. Um, you know, I, I, I would love to see if this could be a Cody C kind of situation. I don't think it would be. But I love Chidera. And then the other name that I am really interested in is Ken Norton Jr. So Ken Norton Jr., he is a former NFL teammate of Coach Prime. He played with the Dallas Cowboys in 1988 to 1993, and then again on the Niners in 94 to 2000. So they had an They know each other very, very well. Um, Norton is currently the linebackers coach for the for the University of California, Los Angeles Bruins, UCLA. Um, I, I remember at the time thinking it was a little odd that Coach Prime went and was very vocal about his support after a game for an opposing coach that mm-hmm. wasn't a head coach. Ken Norton Jr. was that guy. Coach Prime was talking about how he should be a head coach or he should be at least a de- defensive coordinator somewhere. They know each other very well. They go way back. His resume is exactly what I'm looking for mm-hmm. if I'm Coach Prime. So he was a linebackers coach at USC from 2004 to 2008. Um, then he was the assistant head coach for the USC Trojans in 2009, as well as the linebackers coach there. Then he took a jump up with Pete Carroll, went to the Seattle Seahawks, was the linebackers coach there for 2010 to 2014, then became the Raiders defensive coordinator. He, he wasn't great as a defensive coordinator in the NFL. I will preface it with this. But he was the defensive coordinator for the Oakland Raiders from 15 to 17. Then the Seattle Seahawks from 2018 to 2021. He was the D.C. there. Then he went back to UCLA, his alma mater, and became the linebackers coach. I think this heck of a resume. I think this is a great resume because he's done both, and he's done both recently. Plus, the guy's a three-time Super Bowl champion. He was a first-team All-Pro. I mean, he made several Pro Bowls. He was an All-American at UCLA. He was an All-Pac-12, Pac-10 back then player. He's a Super Bowl champion coach. He's a national champion coach. He's been there and he's done it at multiple levels. Mm -hmm. I think this would be a home run hire if we were to go get him because of that resume. And I think Mm -hmm. that he would still resonate with recruiting. He would resonate in the, in the living room of these potential recruits. And I just think that that background is such a good mix that we would be very successful with him running the ship. That would be my favorite hire. I'm comfortable with Zimmer, and I would love to take a flyer on a Chidera Uzo-Duribe, but this would be the hire that I'm sitting back here saying, we crushed this. We knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Did you know he is the first and only player to win three consecutive Super Bowls? Are you serious? I didn't yeah. know that. So he he won uh, with, with the Cowboys, uh, won two. Uh, when they won back to back, and then he uh, signed in free agency to go play for the 49ers, and they won in 1994. Both with Deion Sanders. Yeah, that, that was those yeah. were the two signings, along with ex teammate Deion Sanders. Norton won consecutive Super Bowls on different teams. Yeah, but he won That's, three. He won three, which is yeah. different. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this hire would just make way too much sense. To be perfectly honest, yeah. It, it would just, it would be a perfect marriage because they know each other, they're boys. Prime clearly loves him still. And I think that would be a bit of a splash hire, right? Like, 
you're you're bringing in a dude that's been a DC at the NFL level, which is big, but you're also bringing in a guy that, you know, if you, if we look back at the linebackers for, for USC from 2004 to 2009, there were some dogs on that yeah. side. Like you could walk in and recruit, win a recruiting battle with the best of them. I, I think this would be the hire that I sit back and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm not worried. Moving yeah. Forward. Yeah. Really just, not. just some big names out of there. Brian Cushing, uh, Clay Matthews, uh, what Ray, uh, Maluga. Um, those are just some off the top of my head that played for SC in that time. Yeah. I mean, it was a who's who on their depth chart at that time it, at the linebacker position, which candidly was a weakness. Now I think that would be an interesting hire because what do you do with, what do you do with coach Hart? at that point, because Coach Hart is also Coach Prime's boy. Can he coach safeties? Because I think that if you bring Ken Norton in, you want him coaching backers. Yeah. And I it, and I think it's always better when your defensive coordinator is also coaching your backers because that's supposed to be the extension of your defense, right? Of your coaching staff. Right. So I, I think it would be interesting. But yeah, looking at that 05 roster, Thomas Williams or Brian Cushing, those were the starters. Oscar Lua, Ray Maluga, uh, Keith Rivers, Colin. Ashford, oh yeah, Keith of, Rivers. He was good. He was a bad man. So <laughs> that was just their 05 depth right. chart. And right. Ray Maluga wasn't even the starting inside backer for them on that depth chart. That's how good they were. Yeah. And he recruited those guys, and he was coaching them up. So I, I think that would be the hire that I, if I had a perfect world, that's who I want. Yeah. Yeah. That's who I really want. But flipping one. our attention over to the offensive side of the ball. Yes. De so defense is kind of rounded out, which is one last uh, hit here. Warren Sapp has officially graduated from college. So now he is eligible to be a college coach. Be looking for him on the buff sidelines next year. That you know, We'll see how his coaching prowess is, but if these guys can pick up anything from Warren Sapp, I'll be pretty stupid. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, yeah. Flip into the, to the offensive side of the ball. We've had a bit more time, I think, to talk about this one. We, I mean, truly, I thought Charles Kelly was sticking through to next season. So those were just, you know, three or four names that we wanted to throw out there just in our research over the past couple of days. Um, offensive side of the ball. I think that we can dive into uh, a little bit more. So there are, there are some favorites, I think, to land the job. Um, Pat Shermer is one of them. Obviously, he was the signal caller um, starting uh, with the Oregon State game. Um, you know, our offensive struggles were pretty much the same for Sean Lewis as they were for Pat Shermer. So I wouldn't be too stoked about that hire. Um, the question, my question for him is, is would he be an effective recruiter? Um But but he does have he does have offensive line coaching experience, which is why I think it would be a good hire because we are bringing in we are bringing in a bunch of different people uh, or sorry a bunch of different dudes. Uh, obviously, it's a complete rehaul of that offensive line from the 2023 season into 2024. Um, another one is uh, Brett Bartalone. Uh, he came with. Dion from Jackson state as he was the offensive coordinator over there, as well as the quarterbacks coach in 2022. Uh, but then when he came over here uh, to the university of Colorado, he was our, our wide receivers coach. Um, and obviously our wide receivers were our most effective and easily the best part of our offense this past season. Um before before he linked up with Coach Prime uh, at Jackson State in 2022, he was an offensive analyst in Nevada. Um, but the one that re that really is good for his resume for me is that he played for Mike Leach, legendary Mike Leach, at Washington State from uh, from 2012 to 2014. Yep. Um, he he different from Pat Shermer has already shown success as a recruiter and a developer for talent, uh, since he got here. Uh, so I don't, so if, if the hire doesn't happen this year, I don't think that he is far away from getting a coordinator job at the power five level. 
Yeah, no. Um, let me start with Shermer here, just because I think that's at, at worth where we're at. That's more than likely who it's going to be. Um, dude has a hell of a resume, obviously. I mean, he started at Michigan State, then went to Stanford, uh, then jumped up to the NFL and was with the Eagles, the Rams, the Cardinal or the Browns, uh, the Eagles again, the Vikings, little Mike Zimmer connection. We already talked about that one, but he was with Mike Zimmer. He was actually Zim's OC uh, before getting promoted to the head coach for the New York Giants, then came over to the Broncos. We all remember that stint. Um, not great for Broncos offense, but who knows? Maybe it's because of the quarterbacks he had. He didn't have Shador Sanders. And then he's been with the Buffs as an offensive analyst and co-OC for a brief stint. Um, you know, it, it would be fine. It, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be great. It wouldn't be flashy, but it would be fine. I'm not sure how well this goes on the recruiting trail for us. I would hope that his NFL approach and his NFL time would speak highly in those living rooms of kids that are serious about, like Coach Prime says, the NFL bag, not the NIL bag. I think that would really go a long way in those living rooms because he's been there and done it. I, I worry the same kind of thing was in, right? Like, can he keep up with the trends of college football? Because college football is just different. It goes right. much faster. You see a lot of offensive schemes come out of college football before they make it to the pros. And you, I, I think there's just more of a chess match maybe because the talent you, you have to cover up a little bit more. Um, week to week versus the NFL where all those guys are being paid to do what they do. Mm-hmm. That would be my concern with Sh- with Shermer, but he, he'd be fine. You mentioned uh, Brett Bartolone. I I absolutely love Bartolone. I'm not sure he's ready quite yet to be a Power 5 OC, but I think he is an excellent coach, and I think he is someone that is well on his way to doing that. Yeah, he yeah. is. And I, I love the air raid background and obviously being with the pirate for the start of, for when he was a player. Mm-hmm. I, I think that goes a long, long way. Um, there are two other names that have kind of floated out there. Um, the most prevalent being Byron Lefwich, former NFL quarterback. Um, I think that he was one that we all kind of assumed would be our next OC. I think he's holding out for the Steelers job uh, in mm-hmm. the NFL when Matt Canada finally gets let go. I, although, man, not to get back into NFL talk, like is Mike Tomlin done with the Steelers? Uh, no, uh, that's tough to say. the The Steelers have had three coaches in what sixty years. Yeah, Bill Cowher, Mike Tomlin, and uh, who was right before Legend. Um, I'm gonna get shredded by our listeners. For this yeah, one. God dang it, I can't remember the name either. Uh, I mean, I think they've only had like five coaches in their franchise's history. Hey, coach history. I'm I'm looking it up. Bill Cower, Chuck Knoll, Chuck Knoll. Yes, Chuck Knoll, obviously. He was the head coach from 69 to 91. Yeah. Then we had Bill Cower from 92 to 06, and then Mike Tomlin, 07 to present. <laughs> God, I just can't imagine what how nice that would be just to like not wonder about your head coach. Like that's that's the only part of it that gives me pause is is that 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 the Rooney family just isn't the type to abandon a head coach even when they still win eight eight games. I'd be so happy with eight right now. Eight doves on the roster. Anyway, um, Byron Lefwich, I think he's kind of been waiting to see what happens with Matt Canada and if he could slide into the OC position at uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. So we might be on the back burner. He obviously spent time around our program quite a bit um, early on in the year. We saw videos of him in the training room with, you know, Travis Hunter, with Shador, with a bunch of players on our roster. Um, I think that would be a big, a big time hire. I'm not sure how it would go. It, obviously, his final part of the tenure in Tampa Bay did not go well. Mm-hmm. Um, whether with Brady or without Brady, he, he struggled with both. Um, I think when they won the Super Bowl, that was primarily Tom Brady coordinating the offense, as as he should. He is Tom freaking Brady, right? Uh, but 
I, I think that would be a pretty good hire. And then the only other name that Buff fans have clamored for is uh, Brennan Marion. Yeah. So Brennan Marion, he started the go-go offense. Um, he's kind of been a fast riser to a certain extent in college football. Um, he wrapped up his playing career in 2009. He was a player with the Miami Dolphins. Then he started coaching in 2011 at West Valley College um, and just quickly jumped up. So he was an offensive quality assistant, uh, offensive QC in 2015 with the Arizona State Sun Devils, then went to Oklahoma Baptist in 2016 as the running backs coach. Howard University, little HBCU connection there. Um, 2017-2018 as the OC and QB's coach, then William Mary 2019, Hawaii in 2020, Pittsburgh 2021, Texas 2022, and is currently with UNLV um, as their OC and quarterback well, coach. And those and those are all rises up. It's not that he's getting fired from these jobs. He's literally going from being, you know, analyst to wide receivers coach to uh, co-offensive coordinator to then this year being his first FBS offensive coordinator job. Like it's, it's all been a step forward, even though it's, even though he's been at a new school every single year. <laughs> yeah. And that's the one pause I have with him is he, he seems to jump after every single year, but he created the go-go offense, which is basically just a, it's almost like the Chip Kelly offense, to be perfectly honest. It's, yeah. You know, it is what it is. Um, a little bit a, a little bit better. I'm not sure it would be a fit for our current situation because it does incorporate the principles of the old school tri triple option. Um, it's a spread triple option kind of concept is probably the best way I could put it. Which would in my eyes, be predicated with a running quarterback. Obviously, if you're running a triple option, you need a quarterback that will run and is a threat to run. Shador, we should not be running, period. But he, he's an intriguing name because of that offense and just because of how fast he has risen up the co-stream ranks. And UNLV, they, they were better last year than I thought they would be and than I think a lot of people thought they would be. And they had a pretty potent offense for most of the season. Mm -hmm. So... He'd be a name I'd be intrigued by. That said, I think he's probably the least likely out of the four that have been mentioned. I think the most likely is Shermer, which will be fine. That's a fine hire. Um, followed by, it'd probably be a tie of Leftwich and Bartolani. Yeah. Um, I did want to throw one more name out there, if that's all right with you. Um, Please. That is the uh, Houston, or the former Houston head coach, Dana Holgerson. So, so he, Dana Holgerson compiled, was uh, named the head coach at Houston in 2019, compiled a 31 to 28 record uh, before getting fired this season uh, in the middle of the season on November 26th. Um, he, the reason that I would like this hire is that he has a history um, with a, with heavy air raid influences, having uh, been the offensive coordinator for Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State in 2010, Kevin Sumlin at Houston from 08 to 09. But once again, Mike Leach at Texas Tech Mike from Leach. 05 to 07. Uh, but you and I are just big Mike Leach guys. I'm a big Mike. We've talked about this a couple We've of times on the podcast. Yeah. May he rest in peace, man. Um, but I think that that would be, I think it would be a good fit for this offense. It would be. Um, plus we would reunite him with uh, his former running back, Alden McCaskill. Yep. Um, that, that would be interesting. And we have a couple of former Houston players on our roster. I don't know if maybe that's a holdup is like, Maybe these guys didn't like him very much, and that's why they transferred. So, I don't know. I think it would be a great hire. I remember watching his WVU teams. Mm -hmm. They were freaking awesome. They were so fun to watch. So, I, I wouldn't be mad about it. And he, I mean, God, his career is kind of backed it up, right? He was the co-OC for Texas Tech when Graham Harrell was led the nation in total offense. And then they had the Blitnikoff winner and Michael Crabtree before he got yep. chain snatched by a key. <laughs> um, 
you know, you look back at his time with Oklahoma State, Brandon Whedon, he somehow made Brandon Whedon an NFL drafted quarterback. At 30 um, years old. Yeah, God. And then <laughs> Justin Blackman before he went off the deep end in a crazy way. Like, he he's had he's had a lot of success. So I would be very, very intrigued to see what he could do. Um, he's He's never really coached out of the South which is kind of a Charles Kelly situation for me because it's been Texas Tech, Houston, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, and then back to Houston. Right. But, hey, um, if he wants to – if we want to kick the tires, I'm I'm fully in favor of that. That would be neat. I, th- I, I think it's it, – I think it'd be a good blend for the offense of – or kind of a good marriage of taking our – the most talented players, that being Shador and then our wide receiver core and letting them just air it out all day long. Oh, it'd be a ton of fun. It, it would be a very interesting offense and I, I would love to watch it. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I would be in on that hire. Um, yeah. Just uh, two quick hitting things for me. Real okay. Quick. Okay. Um, just wanted to talk Buffs men's basketball for a second. Yes, um, go Buffs. My God. So Colorado opens up Pac-12 play with a win. They were incredibly shorthanded in that game as Tristan Da Silva was out with an ankle. Um, Cody Williams still out with a wrist. They were also missing a couple of other big pieces um, due to illness. And obviously RJ... Uh, is out for the year with a lower body injury, but KJ Simpson. Yeah, I was going to say it doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it does not matter. It does not matter. KJ Simpson just put the team on his back. Um, he had a double double, twenty one points, uh, seven assists, and ten boards. All of them defensive boards. Absolutely incredible. Um, Eddie Lampkin Jr. really stepped up, also had a double-double with 17 points and 12 boards. Um, two assists on that for him. Javon Hadley played pretty dang well. Luke O'Brien came in, played well. Uh, Julian Hammond, who we both talked about as a very impactful be- bench player for us, um, came in and played well. And the first Javon Ruffin appearance of the season coming off of injury. So that was great to see him. He only played six minutes, but you got to ease him back in. Um God, man, this this Buffs team has some potential to be something seriously special this year. Yeah, uh, I wanted to talk about what Tad said in his post game press conference about KJ. Is he said, "I felt like after the game, like God, KJ can play so much better than he played." And he had twenty, like you said, twenty one points, ten rebounds, seven assists, uh, with three steals. He, the kid's amazing, and he'll be the and he'll be the first to probably tell you that he wasn't at his best on Friday. But man, that is a hell of a line. The kid's a warrior. Like absolute beast mode, dude. Yeah. He, I wouldn't, I mean, I, it's, I'm not going to say that he put the team on his back because he did have some contributors on the, on around him, but man, like it was inspiring to watch. Yeah. I think KJ is the best guard in the country that no one was talking about. Yeah. Um, you, you don't see him talked about in the all American light very often when he should be, and he, he's just an excellent guard and his development over the course of his career in Boulder has been amazing to watch. Mm-hmm. So KJ, KJ deserves a lot more shine than he's getting. And I hope to God that they actually start the media starts to recognize. Cause I think us buff fans obviously recognize what we have with him. You, you he needs national attention. He's yeah. deserved it. Um, Buffs men's team is currently playing Wazoo. They just tipped off here at noon um, they are up currently nine to four. So early in the game, let's hope yeah. they get another win and start off pack 12 play two. No. And then lady buffs. Did you catch that score? I, I did. Uh, I forget what it was, but I saw it popped up on my bleacher report. Um, 76 to 65, our lady yeah. buffs open pack 12 play with a monster win against the Utah Utes. Um, the 12th ranked Utah Utes coming in, obviously our eighth ranked Colorado Buffaloes took care of business in front of a massive crowd at the Coors Event Center. Hell yeah, love to see that. 7,300 people strong. Um, largest attendance for a women's basketball game 
since like 2006. That's so wild. That is great to see. Um, JR Payne has built this program brick by brick, and she's got them rolling. Our girl Jalen Sherrod went off. What a line, man. Good Lord. Went off. <laughs> 34 points leading our team. Um, just unbelievable game from her. She played only 32 minutes too. So it wasn't KJ where it's like, you know, he played 39 minutes. He literally had one minute of rest the whole game. Yeah. She, she got some breathers in there, but oh God, she's so good. Yeah. She's so good. She, along with those 34 points, added six deals, four assists and four rebounds. I mean, she's all over the place. She, once again, another amazing guard playing for Colorado that no one is talking about. Mm -hmm. She's playing at an All-American level. What you have right now, Buffs fans, is two basketball teams that can really make some noise in March that are beating these top opponents and beating them soundly. I mean, we saw what the men's team did to the University of Miami on a neutral court. They beat the hell out of them. They came roaring back against Colorado State, and Colorado State is a good basketball team this year. I, I think that we have some we have something special going on up at the keg in Boulder. Yeah. And if anyone gets a chance, we we've been talking about it. Like, go go watch, go support these teams because they deserve it. You've got two coaches that are phenomenal at what they do and and good human beings on top of that. And they recruit players that are the same kind of way. Mm -hmm. you know, phenomenal players, but also just great people around them. So huge win, huge win for the Lady Buffs. They, they, like I said, I think the ceiling for them is a final four this year. Yeah. I they mean, really they're, do. they're definitely playing like that. As long as we can stay healthy and Jalen Sherrod keeps playing these conference games like this, man. I mean, it, it could be something very special. It's going to be awesome to see. I, yeah. I, I love watching these two teams succeed just because, you know, the, these coaches are just great coaches. They don't get it. They don't get the shine they should locally here in the media, but what they do is is special and they build it the right way. And they put both teams play sound defense and good rebounding, just like you love defensive football. Yeah. I, I love fundamental basketball and mm -hmm. that's what these two coaches preach. So yeah. it, it's great to see the success that these teams have earned and deserve. Yeah. And we'll see how the rest of it goes for them as they've yeah both opened up with uh, in conference play. Uh, just looking forward to it. It's going to be a great basketball season. So, well, everybody, thank you so much for giving us another listen on out of office bros. We'll be out of office again on Tuesday for immediate assistance. Please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, and anywhere that you get your podcasts, please be sure to like comment, subscribe, and pretty, pretty, please tell your friends best. The out of office bros. Let's go buffs. Boycott opening day. Yeah, yeah.